Well, welcome to another edition of the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, and good news for you. It's not Friday. Don't You don't have to look at the calendar yet. He said good news. He said good news. The good news is today is Wednesday, and you know what that means. It's Everybody Wednesday or Everyone Wednesday. That's what we're calling it here on the Bottom Line Show. So anytime you call, uh, 800-227-5278, Teresa will answer the phone and give you a prize. Now, we do have an actual prize that we're giving away that's on the schedule coming up in the second segment of the program. Dr. Russell Meek is going to join me, and we're going to talk about purpose. We're going to talk about meaning, why it is so important for us to have it and how we can find it. Russ has written a book based on the book of Ecclesiastes, and the book is called, the well, it's called Ecclesiastes, The Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World. If you have ever found yourself looking at the world around us and saying, man, this is crazy. This is nuts what's going on here. It seems like up is down, left is right, black is white, good is evil. All those things that scripture told us about that are woes, right? Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Um, you know, that, that then you're right at home in this in this world that we're living in. It's not our ultimate home, obviously, but we do need a place where we can look at things logistically and, and realistically clearly from a biblical worldview, and that's what the bottom line proposes uh, to be each and every weekday from 3 to 4.30 p.m. Pacific time, 4 to 5.30 in the mountain time zone for our friends on KLDC. And I, so I'm glad that we have these Wednesdays where we can get together and everyone wins something. I mean, because every now and again, you just it's nice to win something, right? So 800-227-5278. Um, we're not giving away Russ Meek's book just yet. But if you really do need to win something, if you're looking for a win today, the Bottom Line Show has what you're looking for. Hey, you know, speaking of winning, here in the People's Republic of California, it seems like everybody wins all the time. If you are a leftist, if you have no trouble with corporate greed, and you really don't have a conscience. Did I get your attention? <laughs> By the way, coming up tomorrow on the National Crawford Roundtable, we'll talk about one of the biggest uh, scam handouts that's been happening in our nation for probably the past 10 to 15 years. And that is the push for electric vehicles. Now, we had a great roundtable discussion earlier today. The full podcast should be up at, uh, if you go to uh, CrawfordMediaGroup.net, go to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever you find, wherever you find uh, the podcast for the National Crawford Roundtable. Neil Boron was on vacation this week, so John Rush took over. Uh, John owns an electric car, has done a lot of research into electric vehicles. And I think we had about as good as an NCR conversation as we could have about the issue, looking at every aspect of it. The idea that electric cars are being touted as the way to save the environment. You know, we're, we're gonna have climate change, global warming, catastrophic levels, unless everybody drives an electric car. Now, again, let me be very, very clear when I say this. I don't own an electric car. I have a couple of kids who own, one's an electric and one's a hybrid. And I, my, the jury for me is out. I, I've ridden in them a couple of times. I, it seems like for me, I like being able to have a car that you put gas in the tank. And if you're driving down the road, you need fuel, you pull at a service station, pop that baby in there, pay a lot of money for gasoline, and then you're on your way in a couple of minutes. The idea of not wanting to sit around and plug it in and let it charge and then hope that you uh, can get to your next destination. Uh, John has a... Uh, uh, a term that they use. I think it's range anxiety or something like that, which addresses that very issue. The fact that how far can you go 
on one charge if you are quote unquote fully charged up? Do you really know? It's kind of like when you, I have a recording device I use when I go on location to record interviews and things like that. And the battery life gives you the little bars, you know, or maybe your, your cell phone does this too. You're at 80%, you're at 20%, you're at, you know, whatever in our household. Some of us get down to 5% and go, I better put it on the charger. Others, like yours truly, it's at 80%. Where's my plug? You know, uh, that's where we operate. But the electric car controversy has gotten so out of whack that now you have people really like hating each other. Like I'm an electric car owner. And if you don't get an electric car, we're all going to hell. Or I don't like electric cars. And if you're one of those tree huggers, I can't have fellowship with you. And I'm, neither one of those positions I think is healthy or godly. We want to be good stewards of the environment, good stewards of our time, talent, treasures. Um, and electric cars aren't as green as we might think they are, but they aren't as inconvenient and hazardous as we might think they are as well. So if you've never listened to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, I commend it to you. Uh, and I encourage you to listen to it. If you want to listen to the full uh, one hour, which I recommend because it's, it's a good one, um, you can go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, go to My Hope Now. Um, My Hope Now comes with pictures, by the way. Um, though I have to admit, all of us had problems with our cameras this morning. Um, mine shut down for the last five minutes. <clears throat> John's kept turning it on and off. And the other host, who shall remain nameless, but his name isn't Neil Boron, forgot to turn his camera on when we started. So that's the reason why when you go to myhopenow.com tomorrow or whenever they post it, you'll see a lovely picture of Bob Duco for the first half of the broadcast. Now, of course, what happens when governments get involved is you've got People's Republic of California, now the White House all saying, everybody needs to be on an electric car by, I think the White House, California's law is every vehicle sold, every new vehicle sold in the People's Republic has to be an electric, non-fuel-based or non-gasoline-based car by 2035. Will not happen. Absolutely will not happen. I mean, and this is a supply and demand thing. Only 5% of the cars in the country right now are electric, and I can't see it happening costs are rather extravagant for compared to you know the regular uh, uh john calls them ice cars internal combustion engine cars so I'd, i just don't know what's going to happen now if a company chooses to do something like that i think it's fantastic good for them if they want to provide free charging for their employees fantastic i think it's wonderful i just don't want to see the government saying you must do that but then you see what the incentives are that the government has for pushing electric cars. If you've ever seen the movie, uh, there was a documentary made, I think about 20 years ago, and it was called, very simply, Who Killed the Electric Car? Electric cars aren't new in our country, our culture, but there was a time when I think Honda put out the Insight or something like that. It looked like a slug with wheels, right? You're just kind of, mm, it's kind of weird body design. And you could only lease them. You couldn't purchase them, remember that? And then they kind of disappeared. Until all of a sudden, the hybrid engine, gas engine and a little electric, uh, came into play. And then now all of a sudden, electric, electric cars. Tesla starts getting all these handouts from the federal government, state governments, and things like that. And, well, governments like to push agendas, things that they think are beneficial, things that they think we, the people, should be doing. Because, of course, the government knows better than we do, right? I mean, that's why they're in government. But when you see the report that we're going to get into here, do a little bit of analysis, balance, and clarity here on the, this segment of the program, we got a couple of ABCs to walk through because I think they're they're critical for us in terms of, you know, what actually we do. Uh, this could very easily be a walk the talk segment too. There are a lot of great faith-based groups that are environmentally friendly, 
There are faith-based groups that are working to be more inclusive, uh, to show more dignity and respect to uh, different people and being inclusive and provide opportunities for people of all different backgrounds to have a fair shake. Remember, I mean, what do we talk about in the Declaration of Independence? You know, primary aims of life in the Americas are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You know, this is a government of, for, and by the people, President Lincoln wrote in the Emancipation Proclamation. We should have the opportunity. It was John Kennedy as recently as 1960. President Kennedy on the campaign trail saying, look, everybody needs the opportunity to be able to survive and succeed. Uh, we don't have guaranteed outcomes here. That's called communism. Everybody works the same job. Basically, everyone works the same hours. Everyone gets the same pay. Everyone has the same house. Everyone can buy the same stuff from the government. That's not what the American experiment is all about. Where we see tension in our nation uh, stems from the fact that certain people have decided that they need to have advantages and other people don't need to have access to those as well. And so, you know, there's, there, there's been a big push over the years for uh, people being treated equally. Well, now that equal push, the equality push, is being replaced with something called equity. And equity is a fancy name for everybody gets the same stuff. So the newest industry, it seems like in places like the People's Republic of California, are what they call DEI initiatives, or diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity means you can be whatever gender you want. You can have whatever sexual orientation you want. You could marry who you want, love who you want, et cetera, et cetera. Equity means everybody gets the same stuff. Remember, the now vice president of the United States in her campaign push back in 2020 had that puff piece that was written for her with the nasally delivery. It's so hard to listen to her speak. But it talked about, you know, and equity is what we all want for everybody, equity. So everybody, if you start from different places, everybody winds up at the same spot. No, 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 that's not what we want. How would you and I define success, quote unquote, differently? How much do you need to earn? Where do you need to live? How big a house do you want? How big a car do you want? Do you even want a car? How much do you want to pay in taxes? I mean, people define success differently. And the beautiful thing about a capitalistic society that's based on individual liberties is we all get to pursue that a different way. One guy's earning a million dollars a year and says, that's not enough for me. And somebody else is earning 50,000 that says, hey, I could retire. Equity means everybody, it's another name for communism. It's just in a slightly different package. So you have diversity, equity, and then, of course, inclusion. And what the left means by inclusion is everything we want is included here. And if you're not a leftist, if you're not a progressive, then you have to get on board with us or we will include you right on out of here. An organization called the Center for Organizational Research and Education, they call themselves CORE, has done a bit of fact-finding, if you will, looking at the state of California and trying to come up with an estimate of how much money the People's Republic of California has spent in recent years on this DEI initiative, the diversity, equity, and inclusion. Guess how much we spent? How about $500 million of taxpayer money teaching diversity, equity, and inclusion? According to CORE, it could be as high as a billion dollars. So what did we spend for that money 
And what did we get in return? We're going to take a look at the report card coming up on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Here at Kbright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home. It was like two days before Christmas. And I was sitting at the bottom of a hill and somebody just came smashing into me. Like they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the, at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Stephanie Cover is my friend. She's a partner with The Bottom Line Show. She and her husband, Jim, are great people of faith, and she's the only personal injury attorney I'll ever recommend here on The Bottom Line Show. If you have a personal injury case, you need to contact her and let her be your advocate. Learn more about how you can get in touch with Stephanie Cover when you visit us online at kbrightradio.com forward slash Cover Law. Doing a little analysis, balance, and clarity here on The Bottom Line Show. Everyone Wednesday, by the way, 800-227-5278. We will be giving away a copy of Pastor and uh, Reverend Russ Meek's book on Ecclesiastes when our conversation concludes. But if you just want to win something and everyone needs a win, uh, give us a call at 800-227-5278. The uh, nonprofit watchdog group called CORE, that's their acrostic for the Center for Organizational Research and Education, uh, filed a series of Freedom of Information Acts <clears throat> using also 400 California Public Record Act requests uh, that they sent out to state and local governments and just asked the question, how are you spending your money? What kind of uh, spending is going on with diversity, uh, equity, and inclusion training in the nation, especially as it pertains to the way the government's spending money? Now, where do you think they're doing that? Well, first and foremost, they're doing it in K-12 school districts. They're doing it in higher education institutions, and they got these, uh, the, received these requests as well. And then they compiled their information, and here's what they found. Even though California has some serious major league problems, crime, homelessness, drug addiction, housing issues, and the like, instead of putting their focus on those efforts, the government officials here in the People's Republic of California have focused on things that are far more important, like whether or not the California Department of Fish and Game or the Fish and Wildlife Department is conducting racial equity training among their employees. How would you like to be the consultant who got a one-day stipend or honorarium, I should say, of $50,000 to conduct racial equity training for the California Fish and Wildlife Department. Is it possible that they have a series of racially motivated attacks on people of color in that department and so they needed to kind of weed out the bad guys? Possibly. But, oh my goodness. I mean, according to the report from CORE, 
California has spent nearly half a billion dollars on DEI projects alone. Now, here's what is the most interesting part of this for me. Uh, forget the, it was actually, it was $49,500 for the Racial Equity Trainings and the Fish and Wildlife uh, Department. How about California High Speed Rail Authority? $29,000 spent on consultants to form a diversity task force. California Department of Conservation, $180,000 on DEI initiatives, quote, that include nearly $88,000 in training geared toward critical race theory and racial equity themes from contractors well-connected within the state of California. Critical race theory being taught in the California Department of Conservation. I'm still not following this. Uh, the Department of Conservation also spent $9,000 on uh, Ibram X. Kendi's book, uh, How to Be an Anti-Racist, specifically to hand it out to staff who are uh, in supervisory roles and senior roles at the department's Geologic Energy Management Division. Uh, one email flagged this purchase as a quote-unquote high priority. How about the California Department of Water Resources? $414,000 on DEI goals. The list goes on. How about in the budget, California's Department of Office and Workplace Equality received $854,000, and that actually grew to a million dollars. Within that budget, one full-time staffer earned $164,000 in salary and benefits and $171,000 the next year. And then they have anti-racism training sessions totaling 53,000 over the next two years. Um, I am all in favor of education. I come from a family of educators, as you know. Um, I'm part of a family of educators moving forward. Um, all three of my kids are headed for classroom positions. Uh, Lisa's kids are in the instructional realm as well. There's nothing wrong with education. Absolutely not. But do you get the sense when you look at school districts, when you look at upper education as well, how much of the money that's being allotted by the state is actually going to instruction and how much money is going to administration? Take a look at any of the reports on higher education in the People's Republic of California, and you will find that the cost of college has gone up, what, you know, 10,000% or whatever over the last 20 years. It's gone up a lot. It may be a thousand percent. I speak in you know exaggeration here just to drive home the point. But if you look at how much is actually spent on instructing the students, as opposed to how much is actually spent on administration, you begin to see a different picture. Take, for example, the California Community College District. The last time I looked, it's been a couple of years. Somewhere in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 7,500 California community colleges all up and down the state. Many of these community colleges are also in their own district. Meaning there's one community college and then there's one community college district for that community college. And that means two layers of bureaucracy. You have a superintendent of the district and a president of the school. You have a dean here and a dean there, and a provost here and a provost there, and a vice provost there and a vice provost there. And then they all have support staff. And you begin to realize that part of what students are paying for in their college education, for example, isn't so much to pay the teacher. The teachers are all adjunct. They're part-time. I mean, or the tenured ones, you know, are 
getting money and writing books and whatever they're doing, doing research. But you begin to find the layers and layers and layers of bureaucracy. And that's what I'm getting the sense here of the $500 million that California has spent over this period of time, you begin to get the realization that none of it is really going to actually addressing the issues they're trying to address. Most of it is going toward quote unquote training programs, educational programs, et cetera, et cetera, that pay lip service to it. Progressives love that. Now you're probably wondering though, well, when did all this happen? And this is the thing that will really catch you looking sideways. Is this historically over the past decade? Is it over the past two decades? Is it over the past three decades? Well, what if I told you that every single dollar that has been allowed to be spent in this People's Republic of California on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives has been spent since the start of the pandemic? What was it about COVID-19 that made everybody all of a sudden more interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. We'll take a look at that hard truth coming up next as the bottom line continues. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. And I said, well, 4D money is a fun thing. It's exactly the opposite of what you have now with your one-dimensional account with Ameritrade. You've been watching that thing drop like a rock since the first of the year. You're probably fed up with it. I said, this account, number one, the money never goes down. Number two, it has inflation benefits. Number three, it has long-term care benefits. Number four, it has permanent income benefits. And so when you put all these things on the same page and show it to a client, it sounds too good to be true. And that was his comment to me. I said, well, you know me a long time. You know it's true. I don't make stuff up. So he met with Tess, and we moved his Ameritrade account in a matter of 30 minutes. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Oh, I like that. That should be our investigative reporting music right there, <laughs> the Alter Billies. Bringing us back here. Today here on The Bottom Line, we're kicking things off on the program with an analysis, balance, and clarity segment where we're taking a look at uh, the, uh, the amount of money the California Department of Everybody is spending on diversion, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Uh, it's $500 million so far, and this for fiscal year 2020 and fiscal year 2021, which means starting July 1st, 2020, and continuing in July 1st, 2021, all the way through the end of this last fiscal year, which ended last month, the People's Republic of California spent $500 million hosting seminars, having initiatives, things of that nature. Matter of fact, in Poway Unified School District, for example, uh, it's not just the higher education. Poway Unified School District actually now has established an office of equity and diversity and inclusion. As a matter of fact, they had a meeting recently, Poway Unified School District did, where their director for equity and inclusion blasted parents who disagreed with her agenda, called them resistors. Uh, there was a meeting held by a group called uh, Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Uh, it's organized by the Palomar Council PTA in the Poway Unified School District, and they are working directly with the district. They say that they have a strategy for approaching pushback from parents. By the way, the group calls themselves Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. Their nickname is Jedi. Yeah, 
Brothers and sisters, this is why it's important to be registered to vote and to vote. And this is why you'll hear this term a lot in the upcoming election, voting down ticket. Now, the presidential nomination is not on the ballot on November 8th, 2022, but a third of the senators, all of the Congress people, and especially here in the People's Republic of California, where the congressional lines have been redrawn, the districts have been redrawn uh, simply because of the fact that, uh, well, we've got some people who uh, left the state over the past decade and our population went down. For the first time in California history, we will have one fewer uh, member of the House of Representatives, which is it means all the lines get redrawn. And so we were talking the other day about Eric Ching running in the 38th district in Walnut. I think that's a good selection. Uh, you will have a full and complete list up by Labor Day up at thebottomlineshow.com. But it's amazing to see how those down ticket elections, city council, mayor, school board, things of that nature, how they can have a huge impact because when those people get animated and also get armed with the right information and can put themselves lobbying wise in front of the right members of Congress, members of the Senate, they can push hard and wind up getting the funding they need. California has been boasting for the past couple of years of this huge surplus that we have, but look at what we're doing with it. Are we lowering gas taxes? Are we fixing roads? Are we dealing with homelessness and addiction and kids falling through the cracks? What about social welfare? I mean, is California's only social welfare for women who face a, an unplanned pregnancy is just to abort the child? What, what's, what are we doing to speed up adoptions and the, bolster the foster care system? I mean, and these are just random thoughts. I mean, you could be a lot more specific. But I encourage you to be people of prayer. And obviously, we're going to, uh, we're trusting God that God's provision is perfect. We don't trust the government for that. But we do have a responsibility to literally render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and render to God the things that are God's. And your vote is a gift that you have. Please don't throw it away. I'll put a link with this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. Does seem like we're living in kind of crazy times, doesn't it? Maybe the world has kind of gone upside down where good is bad and people are calling good evil and evil good. We can't decide on what gender certain people are. But then it doesn't seem to matter until it does when talking about feminism and things of that nature. Uh, pastor and author Dr. Russell Meek has good news for us. He's kind of an Old Testament geek when it comes to scholarliness. It started at a young age for Russ. Uh, he's written a new book that talks about how the book of Ecclesiastes kind of mirrors his own journey in the world that has gone a little nuts. The book is called Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy of the book today here on Everyone Wednesday here on The Bottom Line, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through. To the bottom line, Russ Meek joins me to talk about searching for meaning in an upside down world on the other side of this break as The Bottom Line continues. To everything, there is a season, and this season for us today here on The Bottom Line is to talk about the book that verse comes from, but it's not something that people necessarily look to uh, on a regular basis, but we've got an Old Testament scholar joining us today to have a conversation. The book we're talking about is Ecclesiastes, and there's a brand new uh, book by Dr. Russell Meek called Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Russ Meek, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. 
Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Russell Meek teaches Old Testament and Hebrew at Moody Theological Seminary and also William Tennant School of Theology. And we'll have a link for russmeek.com up at thebottomlineshow.com. Um, is it fair, uh, Dr. Meek, to call you an Old Testament nerd? <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> when did that love start? Because I love reading your work and I think this is, well, this is really fun. I mean, but then I thought, wait a minute, young Russ Meek had to develop an interest in the Old Testament somewhere because now you've got a master's and a PhD in it. When, when did that love begin for you? Uh, you know what? Um, my mom went to a garage sale uh, when I was 12 years old and brought uh -huh. me home a book called uh, Introduction to the Old Testament by Eugene Merrill. Uh, he's a really well-known Old Testament scholar. And so I started reading that book, uh, mm. sit, sit there uh, eating breakfast before school and uh, <laughs> reading this Old Testament textbook. And that's that's what got me on the path. I love it. I was just talking to Jerry Jenkins the other day about his love of sports writing. And he was about the same age when he used to do what way back in the day they call it, would consider fantasy baseball games. And I said, well, that, a lot of kids did that with their baseball cards. He goes, yeah, but then I used to write articles about them afterwards and turn them into <laughs> local paper. I said, oh, you were that kid, huh? Well, Russ oh. Meek, you were that kid too. Yeah, when it came yeah, yeah. To Ecclesiastes. Um, so you developed this love. I mean, you obviously, it sounds like you grew up in a home that loved the Lord. You know, your Christian faith was strong, but it was more than just Sunday school faith. I mean, what did your parents do? What did your family do? What kind of church ex existence did you have that really instilled for you as a 12-year-old, a love that said, I want to dig deeper because this guy's a prominent Old Testament scholar. I wouldn't have known that at age 12. Sure. You know, uh, it, it's actually, it's kind of a strange story um, because I did grow up like in a, in a Christian home. My primary influence uh, was my grandmother, though. She uh, lived down the road from me and um, she passed away when I was uh, 11, 12 years old. Um, but she took me to church when I was a kid and then um, just really instilled like a, a love love for the Lord in my heart. Um, but then, you know, I, my, um, my mom got remarried. My, my parents were divorced when I was six. My mom got remarried and I actually grew up going to church, but, um, my stepdad was, uh, very abusive. And so there was this weird, uh, and really difficult, like experience of, you know, you have your Sunday morning kind of, uh, life and then like the rest of your life and the two don't really mix, you know, um, then I became a Christian right before I went off to college. And then when I went to college, I, I met a guy who was the, um, like a campus minister there. And mm -hmm. he, he pointed me to, uh, the book of Psalms, um, to help me work through kind of this, this inconsistency and, uh, difficult, you know, teenage years that I'd experienced. Mm. Good counsel along the way, especially, you know, when you come from those form formative years being so rocky and uh, kind of tough upbringing. And yet I think it kind of goes nicely with the title of your book, Dr. Russell Meek, uh, the book called Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. How did you put this thing together? The, the, what you're writing here? I mean, we've, we've read the stories before and you could read Ecclesiastes start to fall to finish. And then at the end, you, you see what, you know, Solomon, you know, kind of surmises at the end of it, but you're digging a little deeper and challenging us here. Sure. You know, I started reading it uh, when I was in seminary. Um, I was really struggling with my faith, struggling to understand like who God is and how um, I can like 
how in the world I can like live the Christian life, you know, and um, the book of Ecclesiastes with that statement, everything is meaningless. You know, I thought, man, if I can, if a guy in the Bible can say something like that, then surely there's hope for me, you know, and one scholar called Ecclesiastes the back door to the Christian faith. Um, Hmm. And so I started working with a professor um, there in seminary, translating the book and reading it and, um, realize, you know, that this, this word that we typically translate meaningless or vanity or something like that, um, is actually this reference to the Cain and Abel narrative and Hmm. Abel having, you know, this first example of a righteous sufferer or someone who really doesn't get what they deserve in life. And, um, that's what I ended up writing my dissertation on, you know, dissertation is basically just like a 300 page, super boring paper that like even your mom is not going to read um and really just that really grasped my heart you know this idea that ecclesiastes is struggling with this the inconsistencies and the injustices that we see and that we experience in life and he comes out on the other side i don't think he says everything is meaningless i think he says everything is is like abel you know kind of turned upside Mm -hmm. down Mm -hmm. and we can in light of that we can fear God, you know, trust him, walk with him, and then also enjoy uh, the gifts that he gives us. And so it gave me these kind of two handholds for walking with the Lord that I really needed. Yeah. And I I appreciate you saying that, Dr. Russell Beek, because how many times do we find ourselves in a moment of despair? You know, and you brought up the Psalms as a great reminder. But then when you think of Ecclesiastes, I'm trying to think of what else in the Old Testament or just the Bible on the whole is kind of a parallel to that. And maybe Job, I guess, sure. you know, just mm-hmm. in terms of the suffering and that type of stuff. But <clears throat> what we see, it, it, they both kind of meander. I mean, my, my American brain, you know, says, hey, wait a minute. You know, we want three points in a poem. We want five tips for a better marriage. We don't necessarily mm-hmm. want Job and his friends slugging it out. And then God coming in and saying, hey, can you control Leviathan? And oh, I guess not. You know, <laughs> so, and I'm going to restore everything. I mean, that's the super condensed version of, you know, my take on, on Job. But with Ecclesiastes, it seems like more, I mean, I guess because the way I've been taught, um, you mentioned the, uh, you know, what, what is the word for meaningless? Are there other hidden nuggets, Dr. Russell Meek, in the book of Ecclesiastes that have been hiding in plain sight, and we've just pulled two or three verses out, put them on uh, Precious Moments figurines and sold them in Christian bookstores? Yeah, um, I, you know, I, I appreciate you mentioned the, like, kind of non-linear nature of the book it kind of mm-hmm. goes around in circles yeah. and i think that's one uh kind of uh nugget hiding in, in plain sight there is you, th- you think about whenever you've experienced some sort of tragedy in life or some injustice has happened or for example like my grandmother dying of cancer and the way we process that is we don't just kind of go in this straight line, you know, we kind of go in circles. We come back to the event. We think about it. We work through it. We get better for a little while. And then all of a sudden it's back. We're, we're back thinking about it again and trying to process and figure out where God is and what's going on. So we, we don't go through life in this with, you know, five steps to a better marriage. Um, it's like super helpful to think of it that way, but we actually go through cycles, you know, and try to process things um, in a cyclical way. And so I think that is really helpful that in in the Bible, it models that human experience. Um, And then also the book 
uh, I talk about this in my book, there are all of these references to Genesis um, mm. that, that we miss, I think, if we're um, just because of our culture, you know, we have like all, all sorts of entertainment options. We can watch Netflix all night long or Hulu or whatever, or um, you can like get, you can access like any book in the world. And so we have all of these inputs, um, social media, you know, you know, everything. Um, but the original audience, like they didn't have access to all this, all, all these other forms of entertainment or input. And so they were like much more steeped in the scriptures than we are. And so we miss out on, on, and we're not reading in Hebrew. Um, right. And so we miss out on these like little, um, you know, breadcrumbs that are pointing us back to the book of Genesis throughout the book, you know, the, the statements about humans being created from the dust, the, all the garden imagery in chapter two, of course, the Hebrew word Hevel, which is the name Abel, um, all of these, at all of these points throughout the book, it's like the author is telling us like, hey, remember the book of Genesis, and he's wanting us to, I think, have a Genesis shaped view of what he's writing, and then also of kind of all of life, you know, we need to be thinking about what it means to be like made in God's image and mm -hmm. what, what creation is and who God made us to be and how he created us to live. You know, that's, it's so powerful. And I, I'm sitting here with my mind blown right now, simply because of the fact that what you're bringing up is changing the way, I mean, I, for 60 years, I've looked at Ecclesiastes. Well, maybe not in, in the utero, but I mean, you know, once I was old enough to start flipping through a Bible and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the part that we just keep going on because everything's meaningless. I mean, right. if you're reading it in your one-year Bible, I mean, this, this is what Stuart Briscoe would call the cleaner pages of the Old Testament because no one's taking notes on this stuff. Right. But now right. we have a resource and I, I have neglected to mention the title uh, for the past few moments. Russell Meek is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Dr. <laughs> Meek is the author of a brand new book called Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside down world we have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com we'll be giving away a copy or two on the other side of this break as we continue we'll, we'll get a little bit deeper into why this is so important for us to uh, to understand because it's not just solomon's musing saying well i used to be the smartest guy in the world and then i wasn't and now i am again because i realized i wasn't but rather you know this is something that is applicable to each of us here today in 2022 more of my conversation with russ meek in just a moment as the bottom line continues Dr. Russell Meek is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. We're having a great conversation about his new book called Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World. And you're probably thinking, yeah, Roger, only you would think that this is a great conversation because it's about Ecclesiastes. But Dr. Meek has such a winsome spirit about uh, the way he approaches this. And remember, this is the 12-year-old kid who used to read uh, commentaries about the Old Testament for breakfast. So that's I mean, th th you're getting a really enthusiastic approach to studying the Old Testament. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Dr. Meek, I'm sure the question you get asked more often than not is, okay, it's the Old Testament, and the church is all about the New Testament. You know, we're, we're all about the Pauline epistles. We're all about the gospel, going to all the world, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is the, what was your hope when you wrote this book? Because the, the subtitle got me. I mean, the, the looking for meaning in an upside down world, I think most people would agree over the past three, four years, we've seen the world literally turn on its head. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, the Old Testament played such a significant role in my life and faith because, um, you know, I, I shared earlier, I grew up in like this abusive family. I lost my grandmother. My dad was an alcoholic. 
Um, and I struggled with drug and alcohol abuse for a very, very long time, well into my seminary days. So, you know, I'm sitting there learning Greek and Hebrew, um, getting straight A's and then going and uh, getting drunk at night or, or getting high. And so there's this like real disconnect in my heart and my life. And I, I've never, I, I had a really hard time figuring out how to process my emotions and how to like connect to other humans, how to connect to God. I mean, there was like a, just a real struggle and man, my heart in teaching the old Testament, I've been teaching for 10 years now, my heart in writing about, um, the struggles of the old Testament and why I love the old Testament so much is because I find in it, like people like me, like it's not people mm. who have it all together. You know, when I think about, you think about Paul, like, of course, I mean, there was the whole like murdering Christians thing. Um, what, but when you read, or when I read the old, the new Testament, at least I kind of get the sense that like, uh, Things are mostly pretty good. I mean, obviously the churches are all, all messed up in the New Testament, um, but you don't have like those stories of a guy like Jacob, who is just like a horrible person who shows favoritism and lies and cheats. And yet God still loves him. God still mm -hmm. chose him. And so the Old Testament to me is like this story of really messed up people that God loves because God is good. And so I wanted to write this book in particular on Ecclesiastes because Ecclesiastes gives us this model, I think, for how to navigate like human life, you know, how taking joy in the gifts of God and trusting the Lord. And it was like such a helpful and faithful companion to me as I tried to figure out how to live life. And it was just amazing to me when you think about there's this book in the Bible inspired by God written thousands of years ago that I can pick up and read. And here's a guy who is struggling with similar questions. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you know, he says, sometimes the fastest runner doesn't win the race. Sometimes in the place of justice, there's wickedness. Uh, sometimes you work your whole life and you die and you, you leave an inheritance to your son who's a fool and just blows it all. I haven't gotten to that part yet. Um, <laughs> but but he just acknowledges the reality of struggle and suffering yeah. and tells us to trust God and love God and take joy in him. And man, I, that's like so encouraging. It's very appealing. And I'm talking with Dr. Russell Meek today here on the bottom line about his brand new book called Ecclesiastes and the search for meaning in an upside down world. We have a link for the book up at the bottom line show.com. And you were talking about how the fastest runner doesn't always win the race. I was thinking I, I work with a guy who's a big football fan and he loves uh, Tom Brady, you know, that legacy that he has in the NFL. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, as a Christian, I always identified more with like Bernie Kosar. You know, or the, the guy, he doesn't look like he should be getting it done, but he just kept finding ways to win. You know, Ken Stabler with those weird shovel passes. But yeah. I, it's great that you see and that you saw you, that, that when you were wrestling, when you were struggling, you had a heart, you had a spirit that said, I want to learn more. I want to go serve God. I want to dig as deep into this as I can. But you also had the flesh battle going on that said, right after I finished the six pack and knocked down a couple of joints, you know I mean? Or whatever right, it was you were right. doing. And yet you find kinship in the script, the words of the scriptures and I help us. Can you help us understand what you were attempting to do with this book and how you think you've accomplished that? Yeah, I guess I was attempting to 
speak to people who might have a similar history, a similar past as me, you know, who said, man, I, I, I pray this prayer from Mark nine. I prayed it this morning, you know, Lord, I believe help my unbelief, man. I, and I pray that still all the time. And I guess I want to, if there are other people who are praying that same thing and are wondering like, how do I make sense of this world? How do I make it through like suffering or trauma and like come out on the other side, like healthy and whole and trusting the Lord and walking with him. Mm-hmm. I want to help that person, you know, and I, I don't want to say, Hey, here, here is a book in the Bible that can help us get to that place. You know, that can help you. Here's a, a, a fellow traveler, you know, from thousands of years ago, who's walked a similar path and like they made it out on the other side. Yeah. So you can too, you know, mm. That's encouraging. So I'm glad the subtitle isn't Ecclesiastes, five simple steps for turning your frown upside down, you know, <laughs> back to our thing earlier, but rather the, the, the search for meaning, because we all, we want purpose, you know, the purpose driven life is one of those popular books in the church and in the world over the past 30 years, people want to know that they're here for a reason. And they also want to know there's a sense of order and take the last couple of minutes of, of our time together, Russ. I want to focus in on that upside down thing. I believe that God's a God of order and not of chaos. And yet he's, you know, what was Jesus prayer in John 17? You know, keep him here, but keep him safe. How yeah. do we, na- how do we navigate the weirdness, the upside downness of the world, knowing that God has literally made our steps right side up? Yeah. Um, I mean, it, we have to hang on to God, like with everything we have, you know, of course, like he keeps us and yet he also it's like that command, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like a passive command, but right. you're expected to keep it. You know, so how do you, what's the divine human relationship there? Um, yeah. uh, I'm not a New Testament scholar, so I don't have to worry about that. But, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I think um, we do what Ecclesiastes says, you know, which is to, to fear God and keep his commands, you know, trust him. And that fearing is... Uh, is more of like a reverential awe, a yeah. understanding that he's God and we are not like you mentioned Job and Leviathan, like, yeah, Job couldn't, couldn't handle Leviathan and neither can we, but God can. And we have to trust that God is good and that God is faithful, that he does, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Um, and then like a, another big piece of that and we get all of that through scripture right like it's through like reading scripture and seeking the lord and praying and living in community uh, with other believers and then like the other piece that ecclesiastes gives us is taking joy you know and he lists off like food work a spouse and wine and these are the things that adam and eve had in the garden of eden and so he's he's saying if we can push back to that place before sin uh destroyed everything and we can take these like momentary fleeting pleasures and just like enjoy them. You know, that's a a picture of life before the fall. And it's also this wonderful kind of down payment on the marriage supper of the lamb. So like, as we're eating a a good cheeseburger or, you know, a steak or whatever you like to eat, and you can savor that with your wife, with your kids, with people from your church community, like that is this really small picture of like life in the new heavens and the new earth. And it gives us hope and joy uh, and, and I think grounds us in like the reality of God's redemption. 
Well, I can see how it's impacted you, Russell Meek, and your enthusiasm is quite contagious, and that, which is part of the reason why I recommend this book. I mean, I liked it even before we met, but now I like it <laughs> even more. The book is called Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World. The author is Dr. Russell Meek, who's been my guest today here on The Bottom Line. We've got a link for russmeek.com up at thebottomlineshow.com, as well as information about the book as well. Uh, Dr. Russell Meek, great to get to know you, sir. Thank you for being with us today here on yeah, The Bottom thank- Line. Thanks for having me on. Well, and that concludes my conversation with Dr. Russell Meek today here on The Bottom Line. What a great book, Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside-Down World. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I hope you've been challenged by what Dr. Russell Meek had to say. And I hope you'd like to get a copy of the book right now. 800-227-5278. We only have one copy. But remember, today's Everyone Wins Day. On Wednesdays, everybody who calls in is going to win something. So if you call in to get the book, and I hope you get it. God bless you if you do. But if you don't, you're going to win something. Teresa's standing by to take your calls. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. My thanks again to Dr. Russell Meek for joining us today here on the Bottom Line Show for a great conversation about an Old Testament book. Uh, the Old Testament scholar in question is uh, Solomon. The book is about Ecclesiastes and the search for meaning in an upside-down world. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. And since today is an Everyone Wins Wednesday, or Everybody Wins Day, as we like to call it here, uh, if you get through and you are not the one who wins that one copy of the book that we have, you're going to win something. So if you are... Uh, feeling the need to win something today, or even if you're not, uh, give Teresa a call at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. You know, I love this concept, and I think it's important for us to understand um, we are living in an upside-down world. There is absolutely no question about that. We are living in a time where yes is no, and up is down, good is evil, and and you know what Scripture says about that? Scripture is very clear to say, woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And yet there are people who just kind of gleefully go along calling good evil and evil good. The sanctity of human life. Good example of that. I I saw something in thehill.com earlier today that just kind of made my, as Bob Duco would say, makes my eye twitch. Um, The idea that uh, there are a group of uh, pro-abortion advocates right now who are saying you can't just be pro-abortion anymore if you're going to be on their side you have to be anti-pro-life and i wondered where did they get the idea that they needed to go on the offensive like that and do they realize what they're saying you know this is what i've said people ask me often what is your life first and i say well for the times that we're living in right now it's father forgive them they know not what they do how many people do you know who are thoughtful, reasonable, fairly well-educated until you get to this issue, sanctity of human life, for example. And they want lots of money for, uh, you know, uh, transgender hormone replacement stuff. But then when it comes to the sanctity of human life, a precious child, like the one that my bonus daughter is expecting in October right now, they, they have no concept. They have no clue. That's, that's not a child. I mean, there's a, a TikTok video going around right now where they show this young woman and she's applying her makeup, looking very, uh, it's one of those, um, I don't know what the, the uh, 
it, it's a it's a mic drop video, I guess you'd call it, where she's about to say some things like, well, you know, if this really is a fetus and the people are pro-life, then uh, it, it's a human being that you should want. And she lists off all these other parts of the pro-life community that I think most people would agree that we need to make sure. Pregnancy resource centers are working very hard to make sure that if a woman has a pregnancy that was unplanned and she doesn't feel like she can go through with it for whatever reason, that she can adopt the child without any legal hassles, that she can get proper medical care during her pregnancy, that she can have educational opportunities once she's done. I mean, there's a whole laundry list she lists off, but then she ends the video by saying, but a fetus isn't human. And all the lefty, oh yeah, see, it's not human. Way to go. Ooh, boy, you sure showed them. And the only response I have to that is, when was she human? When did she become human? Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Woe to those who speak to issues of life like they're issues of death. And woe to us if we don't speak truth into the culture that we're living in right now. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your day. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, coming up next. For those who remain, analysis, bounds, and clarity, and Pulitzer Prizes, and lying. It's all coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh, still taking your calls. It's Everyone Wednesday here at The Bottom Line Show. And if you didn't get a chance to hear my conversation with pastor and author Dr. Russ Meek, talking about Ecclesiastes and the search for meaning in an upside-down world, I really commend this book to you. I'm sorry we only have one copy to give away, uh, but it could be yours. Give Teresa a buzz, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. And remember, here on Everyone Wednesday, what that means is that everybody who calls in is going to win something. It doesn't mean you're going to win Russ Meek's book but it does mean you'll win something from our prize uh, cavalcade of prizes. Win the big prize, spin the big prize wheel, as they used to say back in the day. Hey, speaking of big prizes, there are certain awards that are given out in the media, in the culture, that are one organization's way of saying, uh, well done, good and faithful servant, or you know, slave to the craft, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, you know, Whether it's the Academy Awards for acting or I guess the Screen Actors Guild, Golden Globes, that's all in there too. The Grammy Awards, the American Gramophone Association, that's for uh, uh, recorded music and talking and stuff like that. And then the Emmy Awards for television and the Tony Awards for the theater. And I don't know why they call either of those what they do. But the Emmy, the Tony, the Oscar, and the Grammy are the you know kind of the big four in the performing world. But then there are some literary awards that are given out on a fairly regular basis. And one of them is the Pulitzer Prize. Now, some people see the word P-U-L-I-T-Z-E-R and call it Pulitzer. Um, I was taught back in broadcasting school that it's called Pulitzer Prize. And the Pulitzer Prize is an award that is given out to, well, uh, people who they deem uh, worthy of uh, receiving this. Um, Joseph Pulitzer is the man for whom these awards are named. He was born into a wealthy family in Hungary in 1847. And uh, he grew up and was educated in private schools. And then came his more formative years. Uh, by the age of 17, he was uh, wanted to become a soldier. He wanted to enlist in the Austrian army where he grew up, even though he was born in Hungary. Uh, he tried to enlist there. They wouldn't take him, uh, et cetera, et cetera. He wound up... Um, in, when he was in Hamburg, he encountered a bounty recruiter for the U.S. Union Army, uh, contracted to enlist as a substitute for a draftee, 
which actually was permissible under the Civil War draft system. And so when he was in Boston, he jumped ship, as the legend goes, swam to shore, determined to keep the enlistment bounty for himself rather than leave it to the agent. He collected the bounty by enlisting for a year in the Lincoln Cavalry. And uh, there were many Germans in the unit there. He was fluent in German and French, but he spoke very little English, worked his way to St. Louis, did odd jobs, and then his career began. He uh, started working in the, the chess room of a library. Uh, eventually, he learned English. Uh, in 1872, he'd built a reputation as a tireless, enterprising journalist and was offered a controlling interest in a paper by the, uh, uh, the West Lika Post uh, by a uh, nearly bankrupt owner. So at 25, he became a publisher. And then the list goes on from there. He became the gold standard for publishing and investigative uh, journalism. And to this day, uh, we have people who have won Pulitzer Prizes for doing a good, solid investigative journalism. Now, in 2018, the Pulitzer Prize organization, Pulitzer.org, issued prizes in national reporting to the Washington Post and the New York Times. Now, when the Washington Post and New York Times ran their stories back in 2018, you can imagine what was on their playlist. Jeff Bezos, the founder of Amazon.com, is also the uh, owner, operator, publisher of the Washington Post. Isn't that convenient? And when he bought the Washington Post, he made it his sole mission to discredit Donald Trump. I believe he hired somewhere in the range of 150 extra reporters. And their beat, if you will, was to dig up dirt on Donald Trump. Now, little sidebar here especially in light of the conversation that we had yesterday about whether or not we'd vote for Donald Trump for president again. And we had a lot of people who were very passionate yesterday saying, of course, they'd vote for him. Got some nice emails from people after the show saying, no, I don't think I would. I agree that, you know, he did some great things in office. But when it comes to that electability factor, the it factor, X factor, whatever you want to call it, that he had in 2016 doesn't appear to be there. But when it comes to the story of whether or not there was any sort of Russian interference in the U.S. election in 2016, if there was any connection to Donald Trump's campaign, well, that's where the facts got a little blurry for The Washington Post and The New York Times. You may not have seen the Durham investigation. Uh, we all are familiar with the Mueller investigation. Robert Mueller was hired as a special operative to determine whether or not there was any sort of Russian collusion involving interfering with the U.S. election. And uh, to be fair, every government has some kind of espionage going against every other government to try to influence their elections. We are very naive if we don't think that happens. For years, the American government would intervene in certain elections like were happening in Israel or other countries that you know, supported democracy, and we wanted those governments to succeed. And then sometimes, like in President 44's regime, uh, we had the U.S. government that actually tried to knock off President Benjamin Netanyahu's bid for election. And uh, it's, it's, it happens. So the idea that we would sit here clutching our pearls saying, oh, my goodness, Russia tried to have an influence on the 2016 presidential election. Let's start by saying that's a naive thought. The idea that Russia would be involved, of course, they're doing it. They were infiltrating all of our social media accounts. They were uh, putting those little bots or whatever they call them up on Facebook and other places to try to give you disinformation, try to give you the either to stoke the fires of 
fear and insecurity. Yeah, my guy's right, and their girl's wrong, or their girl's right, and my guy's wrong, or whatever. But they tried to influence the election, and for all intents and purposes, it worked. But did they collude with President Trump, then businessman Trump, to try to steal the election? We spent three years and tens of millions of dollars calling in witnesses and uh, grilling FBI agents and Justice Department uh, operatives to try to figure out what happened. And it turned out that the only piece of real evidence that the media had was something referred to as the Steele dossier. Uh, A man by the name of Christopher Steele had put together what he termed credible evidence to get a FISA warrant to then start doing the investigations on whether or not President Trump uh, had colluded with the Russian government and whether or not there was any kind of interference in the election. Now, if there had been interference in the election, I would have been the first one to pound the table here and say, run this guy out of office, impeach him, throw him in prison. It's terrible what he did. He stole the election. He bought the election. He had some kind of influence on the election, and we don't want to see that. But after three years and several million dollars of investigation, it turned out that the Russian collusion story was a hoax. No, I'm not going to call it a hoax. I'm going to call it a lie. We'll do what the media does with Donald Trump says the election was stolen from him. The big lie. The big lie was that Donald Trump bought someone in the Russian government to basically run Hillary Clinton's campaign off the road. What made it even worse for the Hillary Clinton campaign is that during a cross investigation by John Durham's commission that was started when President Trump was still in office and continued for another couple of years, it was determined factually, evidentially, that the rumor, if you will, that there was some kind of hoax actually started in Hillary Clinton's campaign. In the uh, social media world, the kids have an expression. If they have a text message or something on social media that might have been posted like on Twitter or whatnot that it's taken down, but somebody gets a screen grab or a picture of it. Well, if you have to return an item to the store, something you purchased and you want to get a full refund, what do you bring with you? You bring your receipt, right? So in the social media world, you probably knew this, but if you didn't, if someone says, I have receipts, that means I have tangible proof that what you're saying isn't true or that what I'm saying is true. And in the Durham investigation, basically the Trump administration had receipts. They didn't have to ask them. They just did Freedom of Information records checks and found out that Back in 2016, the Hillary Clinton campaign paid a lawyer to basically lie. Christopher Steele got his information and the FISA warrant was all based on a lie. Now, when it came time to prove that in a court of law, the judge and jury were basically bought and paid for by liberal Democrats, and they found no evidence of the collusion. But nonetheless, you could find it online. You could see the reports spent the past year reporting on this for uh, this program and other networks with regard to what actually happened. So once that was announced a couple of months ago, then the former president of the United States actually made an inquiry, as it were. The Pulitzer Prize board was asked by anywhere from President Trump to, uh, you know, those who were cronies of his, if you will, associates, affiliates, about whether or not the submissions from the New York Times and the Washington Post on the Russian interference in the U.S. election, well, they jointly won the 2018 Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting. Just one problem. What was being reported on was not true. 
So should the Pulitzer Prize board be forced to withdraw those awards? Well, we're going to take a look at the ethics behind this as to whether or not this would be unprecedented and what the Pulitzer Prize board's decision was with regard to the prizes and why I think they blew it big time. We're going to talk about that, do a little analysis, balance, and clarity on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Remember how controversial this album was when it first came out? <laughs> Amy Grant encouraging us to wise up about what's happening in the world around us. And, and this is a, an opportunity for us right now as we're doing this analysis, balance, and clarity segment of the program to think biblically with regard to this whole debacle with the Pulitzer Prize. I mean, let's take a look at this from God's perspective, right? As opposed to our own perspective. The idea that the Pulitzer Prize Board awarded the national prize to uh, the Washington Post and to the New York Times jointly for their investigative reporting with regard to President Trump. And the idea that President Trump somehow had colluded with the Russian government to win the 2016 election. What really happened in the 2016 election is actually short of a, nothing short of a miracle you get right down to it. Basically, President Trump won. More people voted for him than for Hillary in places where Hillary Clinton thought she had uh, the Midwest, what they call it, the Rust Belt, sewn up. President Trump won just enough counties to get just enough electoral votes. He wound up winning in kind of a landslide in the Electoral College. But in terms of the popular vote, he actually only got 63 and a half million votes and Hillary Clinton got 66 million. Now, if you're wondering how, in just a four-year period, we went from 130 million votes cast to 154 million votes cast, well, that's a topic for another discussion. But the Democrats and the left were so incensed that Donald Trump had won the election, they said, certainly, there must be something going on here, uh, some kind of, uh, well, Donald Trump's a uh, shady businessman, I'm sure he bought off the government or something. Pay no attention to the fact that in the 2020 election, the now president of the United States, Joe Biden's son, had all sorts of questionable relationships with China, with Iran, with Ukraine. Uh, the list goes on. Though we want to be as sympathetic as we can to the innocent people in Ukraine who are getting blasted daily by the Russians, let's not forget that the Ukrainian government does not always have the best reputation themselves. And hence the bribery and that type of thing, currying favor. What Hunter Biden was selling was influence to his father. And if that story ever gets fully told, there can be a lot of people who got a lot of splaining to do. But back to the Pulitzer for just a moment. 2018, the Pulitzer Prize organization uh, awards uh, the New York Times and the Washington Post with a joint award. Well done, good and faithful servant. You expose the corruption. We know Donald Trump's an anathema to this country. And by golly, we, we, we caught him. We found him. We got him. Just one problem. After three years and million dollars of investigation and examination and cross-examination, it turned out they had nothing to go on because the entire case was built on one accusation, the infamous Christopher Steele dossier that was used as the reason that FISA gave a special order to go after and press the charges and do the investigation. And it turned out that the Steele dossier was made up. It was made up by an attorney who worked for Hillary Clinton's campaign who basically started a rumor that this had happened. And the only receipts, the only proof, the only verification that we had of this report actually coming to light was because an attorney who was paid by Hillary Clinton's campaign started the rumor. 
At the end of the Robert Mueller investigation, they could not find any evidence that Donald Trump had, in fact, bought favor and influence with the Russian government and Russian intelligence officials to somehow sway people from voting for Hillary Clinton. They basically played both sides. They ran enough attack ads on the Trump side, enough attack ads on the Hillary side that they tried to polarize as best they could. And in the end, the Hillary crowd, I think, got a little complacent. And uh, folks I know in the local Democratic Party here said they were making phone calls, uh, you know, not so much in Southern California, right up to the 2016 election, because they figured California would go for Hillary. Hillary. But as they called people all across the country, they got the same response, which was, ah, we got this. We don't have to worry about this. No problem. There's no way Donald Trump's going to win. Well, then Donald Trump did win. And then we launched the Mueller investigation, and it turned out that the hoax or the uh, Russian collusion thing was a hoax. And then the John Durham investigation proved it and proved it beyond a shadow of a doubt. Unfortunately, the court, the special kangaroo court that was uh, compiled to determine whether or not to bring charges against Hillary Clinton, could not bring any charges against her or the attorney who sprouted the lie. So end of story. Once those revelations came to light, though, President Trump and some of his allies said, OK, well, we would like some we would like some satisfaction, as they would say in those English war movies. <laughs> I demand satisfaction. They take off their glove and slap you in the face. Right. Well, in this case, quite frankly, I think President Trump was justified in asking for that. A vicious lie was spread about him personally and about his campaign that turned out to not be true. If anybody had blood on their hands or egg on their face or whatever other euphemism you want to use, it was not only the Clinton campaign, but Hillary Clinton herself. And yet, have you heard about the investigation into Hillary Clinton? No, you won't. And the reason you won't is because sometimes bad things happen to people who do stuff like that to the Clinton family. Just saying. So several formal requests were made of the Pulitzer board, and they were asked, would you reconsider the Pulitzer Prizes to New York Times and Washington Post in 2018 for their national reporting based on the fact that what they reported on actually wasn't true, and they didn't do the due diligence to dig up what the actual truth was? Well, I'm holding here in my hand, well, on my computer screen, the statement from the prize board at the Pulitzer organization where they conducted a formal review against the complaints against the winning entries from that year. And they've received lots of inquiries over the past three years, as you can imagine, including from President Trump himself about the submissions from the New York Times and the Washington Post that subsequently led to the uh, determination that they would be awarded the Joint National Reporting Award from the Pulitzer Prize Group. Here is their response now after doing their own internal investigation, and I'm quoting him here. We'll put this up at thebottomlineshow.com so you can read it. A statement from the Pulitzer Prize Board. The Pulitzer Prize Board has an established formal process by which complaints against winning entries are carefully reviewed. Over the last three years, the Pulitzer Board has received inquiries, including from former President Donald Trump, about submissions from the New York Times and the Washington Post on Russian interference in the U.S. election and its connections to the Trump campaign, submissions that jointly won the 2018 National Reporting Prize. These inquiries prompted the Pulitzer Board to commission two independent reviews of the work submitted by those organizations to our national reporting competition. Both reviews were conducted by individuals with no connection to the institutions whose work was under examination, nor any connection to each other. 
The separate views converged, or separate reviews rather, converged in their conclusions that no passages or headlines, contentions or assertions in any of the winning submissions were discredited by facts that emerge subsequent to the conferral of the prizes. Thus, the 2018 Pulitzer Prizes in National Reporting stand. If you Google any of the reporting from the New York Times and the Washington Post, you will find that all of it was contradicted by the testimony in the John Durham trial. All of it contradicted. In the same way that Planned Parenthood, that doubled down on attacking David Daleiden and the Center for Medical Progress, when they went under, I mean, David still is facing millions of dollars in fines, so is Sandra Merritt, so is CMP, so is Troy Newman, their board member. But in the depositions, you see the officials from Planned Parenthood acknowledging that everything David accused them of doing, illegally trafficking body parts, buying and selling them, violating federal laws, that they did all of that. And they continue to do it to this day, that a judge in the case did not find them guilty of these crimes is horrific enough. But for the Pulitzer Prize to say that two of the leading news publications in the United States, the Washington Post and the New York Times, could blatantly lie about President Trump's involvement in the so-called Russian collusion, award them prizes, reputable prizes. I mean, well-established, enshrined in the media world. Pulitzer Prize is like an Academy Award. It's like a Fulbright scholarship. I mean, this is massive. And for them to say, we did two individual reviews and the reviews converged in their conclusions that no passages, headlines, contentions, or assertions in any of the winning submissions were discredited by the facts? Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. And yes, Mr. Pulitzer's legacy, you owe Donald Trump an apology. We'll take a break here. Are some final thoughts on this in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market? You go back. You want to put it into a CD? You go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up-and-down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you could earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Welcome back to the Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. We're talking Pulitzer Prize and the fact that they will not apologize for the fact that they lied about President Trump. They lied about his involvement in the Russian collusion, what turned out to be a hoax. Uh, it was one of the, the biggest lies that we've ever seen. And then once the Pulitzer Prize was awarded in 2018, uh, three years later, you've had so many people saying, hey, wait a minute, this was not an actual award that was given based on facts. It was based on lies. And the Pulitzer Board says, nope, you know what? We think, based on our internal review, uh, that nothing happened, and so therefore, that's who we've got. Oh, by the way, I wanted to congratulate Robert from Costa Mesa. Uh, Robert was the uh, correct caller and won the uh, 
the book by uh, Russ Meek on Ecclesiastes and the Search for Meaning in an Upside Down World, kind of a, an appropriate day to be having a conversation with Russ and talking about the Pulitzer. And remember, it's an Everyone Wins Day here on the Bottom Line Show, so everybody who calls in is going to win a prize. And I promise you that you're going to win a prize just because you're awesome and you listen to the Bottom Line Show. Uh, there won't be any three-year investigation. Um, and, and no one will call you later and, and take, try to take the prize back. But in this case, the prize was awarded under false pretense or false pretenses, as the case may be. And when they say no passages or headlines, contentions or assertions in any of the winning submissions were discredited by facts that emerge subsequent to the conferral of the prizes, well, they have a very different view of facts than we do. And that's a real problem now, isn't it? The question for us as Christians is not how do we stop it, but rather how do we control it? When you think about it, I mean, the, the effectiveness that we've seen in the sanctity of life community that only took us 49 and a half years to get Roe versus Wade overturned, but it took a conscious effort by people in the pro-life community to stop saying, hey, it's a baby, don't kill the baby, don't kill the baby, to people who don't believe that the preborn child isn't human. We had to find other ways to get their attention and to get the attention of other people. So when you start talking about opportunity and equity and, and uh, incomes and things of that nature, all of a sudden you take it away from the, is it a baby or is it not? It's amazing how many people of all different stripes can figure that out. In the case of the Russia collusion, for everybody who's so concerned, Donald Trump is the big lie. Donald Trump should go to jail. Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. I don't appreciate the way he handled himself during that whole deal, but what he did in terms of, you know, did he did he try to rough up the Secretary of State of Georgia? You know, did he say things that were inflammatory that led to, you know, the, the our, our nation's democracy being in peril? Hey, the, the Senate is going to pass a trillion dollar spending bill. And today the House and Senate passed that $280 billion bailout to Nancy Pelosi's husband and other countries or other companies, rather. Um, that's a bigger threat to our democracy than a bunch of impassioned MAGA hat wearing people who really felt like they were ripped off, but just didn't know how to put it into words. And I could say, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, if you were frustrated on January 6th because you saw these people who were storming the White House, please understand, or the nation's capital, please understand why they were doing it. They felt like the election was rigged and it was. They didn't like the outcome. They were frustrated. They weren't getting answers. And unfortunately, they weren't getting really great information from their leader either. But at the end of the day, what do we do? We learn from it, we move on. There have been numerous laws with regard to election integrity passed over the past year and a half, all by these dastardly you know, red state Republicans. And look what happened during the primaries. Are you hearing any howls of collusion or stolen votes or lost ballots or things like that? Not a word. If anything, we're seeing higher voter turnouts, and especially in states like Texas, which is traditionally red, but I think leans a little more purple, there was actually a higher turnout of Democrats in Texas in the primary this year, and fewer Republicans voting. So at the end of the day, let your yes be yes and let your no be no is not just a biblical mandate. It's really a good way to live, even if you aren't a Christian. The Pulitzer Prize Board should be ashamed of themselves for doing this investigation and then tucking tail and run and saying, we don't find anything wrong. How about just saying, look, 
we gave these awards based on information and reporting that everybody thought was true. And now that it was proven to not be true, we were wrong and we screwed up. You can keep your award, but please know it's got an asterisk by it. That's really true. That's really good reporting. And that's the bottom line.